my slogan is there's no such word as can't. So I aim to prove to people and encourage people that whatever challenges they face in life, then they think like it's the end of the world. But there is a way out and there is really no such word as can't. Are you searching for your ideal career, fed up of your daily grind, or simply want to hear some inspiring stories? Then you've come to the right place, because it's time to do a job you love. It's time to get work savvy. Welcome to episode 22 of the Get Work Savvy podcast. I hope that you're well, and thank you so much for tuning in to yet another episode. This is the show that brings you tips, tricks and advice from those people who've managed to find a career that they truly love doing. If you are new, then hi, my name's Liam. I'm an e-product manager working for a national training provider in the UK. And it took me over 10 years to find a career that I can truly say I enjoy. And I want that for you too. But I don't want it to take you 10 years like it took me. If you're interested in the world of e-products and what I do for my job, then go back and check out last week's episode. If you are here thinking, I really don't know what I want to do, or if you're looking to change what it is that you're currently doing, then you're in the right place. Each week we interview a different professional from a wide range of different industries to give you an idea of the different roles that are out there because let's be honest there's so many jobs that I have no idea about and there's more and more roles being created with the change of technology. So if you haven't yet press subscribe and you'll get a new episode every single Monday and for those people who are thinking I don't really want to go into that career that we're focusing on then don't worry at the end of each show I summarise the key takeaways that can help you to get work savvy. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review in the podcast app of your choice because it really does help the show. Now, as you heard from the brief introduction, Emma has got a fantastic story and I can't wait for her to share it. But what I would say is having listened to Emma's story, we need to learn that actually we put excuses and barriers up in front of ourselves that really, if we worked hard enough, we could find a solution for. Now, I'm not going to talk anymore. I'm going to let Emma tell us about her fascinating story. And don't forget, at the end of the show, I'll summarise the key takeaways for you to use on your journey. So let's dive into the interview section of this show. So hi to Emma and welcome to the Get Work Savvy podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm very well, thank you. Excellent, excellent. I'm so honoured that you've come onto the podcast, Emma. You're such an amazing and inspiring character. And I know that there's been some previous guests who've mentioned your name when I've been speaking to them. So I'm, I'm super keen to share your story with the audience and what it is that you do. So for people who haven't come across you before, could you just give a brief insight into what it is that you do? Yeah, I was an elite athlete. So I represented Great Britain in the sport of paradise. Then now I've changed my career and I'm now a motivational speaker so I offer motivational speaking to a wide range of audiences based on my life and my challenges growing up with a disability and that of being an elite athlete. Absolutely amazing so you've finished your career now and you've moved on to the next step but just before we move on to your fascinating story, what was it that you wanted to do as a young girl? Is it that you always had that equestrian route in mind or, or what was it that you dreamt of when you were younger? Yeah, well, 
horses and riding were introduced to me at the age of two because it was recommended by my physiotherapist that riding be a great extension of my physiotherapy program due to the fact that I have a disability called cerebral poverty. So throughout my childhood, the benefit of riding grew, but also my love of horses and riding grew. And when it got to my teenage years, I wanted to do something with horses. And that's when I got introduced to the sport of paradressage. So it was a bit of therapy to start with almost and moved on from there. Yeah. Fantastic. It just goes to show that if you have that passion and drive and determination for something that you can really make a success of it. Yeah. So can you take us through that transition then from how you went from simply doing it as a bit of pleasure and a bit of therapy onto getting a bit more serious about it? When I was about 16, I was frustrated because my disability prevented me from doing things with my horses like my able-bodied peers were doing. So I couldn't jump, I couldn't look after my horses on my own. And I really wanted to progress in the equestrian world. And that's when my coach at the time steered me in the direction of dressage. First of all, with the Riding for the Disabled Association. And then I eventually moved into the Paralympic sport of paradressage. They clearly saw that you had the ability to go on to that next step. But what happened then? Because I imagine you have to get support with funding and things like that. What happened with that next stage? Yeah, well, I was looking at soon after I started in this board. So in 2004, I was selected onto lottery-funded work-class start and potential programme. And I stayed on that lottery-supported programme until 2010. And then I was promoted onto the work-class performance board. And then my funding got larger. Where has that taken you then? What particular events have you been able to compete in? Has it been all across the world, I imagine, obviously, with it being Paralympian, the different Olympic cities that you've been to? Could you list off some of the fantastic places that it's taken you to? Yeah, well, I started off doing friendly internationals. So they took me all around Europe. My first international was in Spain. And then championship-wise... I've been to European Championship in Norway and Belgium, and then Kentucky in America in 2010 for the World Equestrian Games. But unfortunately, due to different circumstances, I haven't actually been to a Paralympic Games. Oh, okay. So, unfortunately, you never got to to fulfil that dream. No. 
Well, you've done more than most. So <laughs> so competing in the likes of Spain and those other countries that you, you listed is absolutely amazing achievement. I always have a romantic view about an athlete. For example, when I wanted to be a footballer as a young lad, I always thought, no, oh, you just turn up to training, you know, kick a football around for a little bit. Then you go play the big game on, on whatever day it happens to be on the Sunday. But it's a lot more involved than that, isn't it? So could you just run through what your typical day as an athlete would be? Well, it would be training with the horses. So I'd train on my own or with a coach. And then I might go to the gym um, and do either a PT session or a spin class. I'll go for biomechanics training, a sports massage. I would also see the sports psychologist and then there's planning competitions planning training and also because my sport obviously involved the horses I also had to plan things like the vet the farrier the saddler feed order so it was a a full-time job either on the yard, at the gym, or paperwork. Much more involved than, than I kind of ever ever really realised there, and I think that most people don't necessarily know the, the detail of what's involved there. Did you have like a strict diet as well? Yeah, yeah. So your meals were all planned out for you, or was it just kind of stick away from certain things? Yeah, stick away from certain things. You know, try and watch the weight, try and keep your energy up, keep hydrated, things like that. When it comes to to competition time then, did you have a particular routine? Did you, a bit like a boxer might do, have kind of like a camp, like to, to go through things in a bit more intensity? Or what happened then? Well, we always had squad trainings throughout the year and... It would be about four or five times a year. And then we always have one. One of those would be before a big major championship where everyone got together and saw all the sports stuff. And then if I was going to just a a normal competition, I, I myself would have my own routine. So for example, before I got on the horse, I would do an, an exercise routine and that would get me both physically supple and ready to ride and also that was an important part of my mental preparation. Yeah, if you watch like a golfer's set up, they always do certain like little rituals and, and routines to get that mental state as well as the as well as the physical state. So that's a that's a great insight. When you were in the squads, was there much competition between the different nations? Was there like kind of that more competition, or was it more supportive in the experience that you had? It was always supportive. It was Great Britain have always been have always been the top team. So it's always been the other countries trying to beat us. But there's always been 
a great camaraderie between us and the other nations. So going to an international competition was always a really nice, nice experience. Absolutely fantastic. With your horse as well, it wasn't just yourself that I guess you'd have to prepare. You'd also have to kind of um, get your horse. What was your horse's name, by the way? Uh, well, the horse that I won the medals on with Eddie. Okay. Yeah, I suppose you had different horses. <laughs> yeah. Very naive I am. <laughs> so before you went into your competition, you said that you did like the ritual, the exercises to get you in that mental place. Was there anything that different that you do for the horse because obviously they were in the the full dressage gear that they might not necessarily train with or did you train with that all the time to get them familiar with that or, or how did that work well, well yeah but the horses get used to so the things that they wear for competition is other than being plaited up is no different to what they wear every day for training they, they would wear the white number and the white bandages. Okay, fantastic. I know that famously they say don't work with children or, or animals. Has there been any incidents where, um, where you've had any kind of, looking back on it, hilarious kind of incidents <laughs> that, have, uh, that have kind of uh, make you laugh and smile when you look back on it, but frustrating at the time perhaps? Yeah, I've had lots of moments with the animals, with the horses. I mean, I suppose my first incident ever with horses was when I was about three years old, riding my Shetland pony round the field, and she decided to book me off. <laughs> and I, I landed on my head and narrowly missed the water trough. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like the um the Shetland pony had planned that one. <laughs> yeah, I think I think she has. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great stuff. Now you mentioned how you got a bit frustrated when, when you couldn't necessarily look after your horse in the way that potentially other people would do. Would you say that's been a big motivator for you to kind of battle through that and to push yourself to do as much as you can? Yeah, definitely. As I've got older and as I've got stronger, because bearing in mind that riding is still, even now, still a great physio for me. So I get stronger than myself. So now I'm able to do more with the horses because that's what I love. I just love being with the horses and able to do what I can. Absolutely brilliant. So you've finished that equestrian path and that journey and you spoke about becoming a motivational speaker. What went through your mind? Why did you take that route? Why did you decide to go down that path? Well, two years ago, I got taken off the world class programme, basically because I hadn't got a suitable horse. And obviously without a horse, you can't represent Great Britain. So at that point, it was decision time and time to find a new career. And after a couple of months of searching the internet, 
high and low looking for a job or a career or some form of answer, I suddenly realised that being in my time within the Tassie, I had been required by UK Sport to do some motivational speaking to schools and whatnot. And I enjoyed doing that. So I decided that I would quite like to make this my career. So you had that experience when you perhaps hadn't have thought about it before, but that opportunity has come up and then you've gone from strength to strength. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. So would you say you get nervous in front of a crowd or how do you deal with that kind of scenario? Yeah, sometimes I get nervous. I really enjoy doing what I do and now I'm getting more confident at doing I think that it's a fear for many people, public speaking, so I'm absolutely in awe of of everything you do, Emma. Could you just take the listener through your journey then, going from all the difficulties that you've had throughout your life, but could you just illustrate to the listener exactly how tough it's been? Well, yeah. I mean, when I was a baby, my parents were told that I would never be able to walk and never be able to talk. And it's only because of, well, my parents' perseverance and commitment and my own that I'm now able to walk and talk. And it, it wasn't until I was six years old that I was able to walk unaided. Last year, when I was taken off the World's Last programme, and my career came to an end and I battled depression because I just didn't know that the horse had been my life and I just didn't know what I was going to do anymore. So they are the two biggest challenges that I've had to overcome. I think that that you've obviously faced more challenges than most of us and for you to have gone through all of those years of being so close to your horses and then having that taken away from you is obviously going to raise those kind of darker moments. And, and I think that clearly you have got something to offer everyone. And it must have been so difficult going through that battle of depression and coming out the other end and doing what you were doing now. Yeah. So with the motivational talking and speaking, what is it that excites you? Is it seeing that aha moment with the crowd or the audience or, or is it just sharing your story and trying to give that kind of insight to people that they can do what it is that they want to do? Yeah, well, my slogan is there's no such word as can't. So I aim to prove to people and encourage people that whatever challenges they face in life, then they think like it's the end of the world, but there is a way out. And there is really no such word as can't. I think that quite often we come up against those barriers and we come up against those moments where we think, oh, it's too much. We're not going to be able to do stuff. An example I've got is I've got a two-year-old around at home and my time is now restricted. And for most people, 
they would just happily kind of vegetate in front of the television each night and and just accept what it is they're doing but i've really focused on trying to create this podcast and for me yeah. i've had to realize what's more important to me and i think thinking about what you've just said there and you know all of the the hurdles that you've overcome and to try and inspire others to to realize that actually if they focus on what it is they want to do that they can achieve that is is so important and uh, and you're doing an absolutely fantastic job with it emma thank you have you undergone any specific training or any specific qualifications that have led you to where you are today no not really the only qualification i've got is when i left school i went to the University of Lincoln and did animal management. But so I've got a distinction level in animal management. I suppose with the motivational speaking, I'm lucky to have got a super mentor that helps me. She does motivational speaking, so she's been helping me with all aspect of the business excellent and i went to lincoln too by the way <laughs> so small world so with the motivational speaking then what's involved with that is it just a case of going from place to place and speaking is there like a lot more management in this in the background that people aren't necessarily aware of what kind of things do you have to do that perhaps others might not have considered well as well as the speaking i do uh, social media so I, I try to keep my Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn accounts up to date and I post various motivational articles, a bit about myself, my own stories and also motivational subjects in general. I also have a website that I keep up to date and I'm also currently writing a book. So you are one hell of a busy lady then. <laughs> You're writing a book as well. Fantastic. Is that on the journey you've had so far? What's the topic of your book? Yeah, it's my, it's my life story. So everything I really talk about in the talks and a bit more. Excellent. And did you want to give a bit of your talk to kind of tease people in? Okay. How many of you have said that you can't do something just because you didn't want to do whatever's been asked of you and you made an excuse not to do it? If I had said I can't at various stages of my life, then I wouldn't be sat here talking to you today. That is a, a brilliant message that anyone who's thinking, just taking her on the edge of, of a decision about doing something a bit different or, or even thinking, you know, all this studying's too hard or whatever barriers or seeming challenges that they've got, they should really listen to your message and think about what it is that's so hard about what it is they're doing. Throughout your, your career then and throughout your journey so far, what has been what you'd say your biggest challenges? I suppose really learning to walk because that took a lot of time a lot of physio a lot of occupational therapy it took a lot of time doing my exercises and it took a lot of my parents time as well so i suppose that's been the biggest challenge and i suppose 
the day that I finally stood up and said, look, I can walk. That has to be on the top of my achievement list. Absolutely. And no one can argue with that. I mean, <laughs> it's such such an incredible thing to have overcome. And I bet your parents were absolutely full of pride and emotional at that moment where you, you did that. Yeah. In reverse of that then, what would you say has been your proudest moment to date? My proudest moment was winning my gold medals. Oh, in my career, I've got three gold medals, three silver medals and a bronze medal. And won European gold in 2009. And then I got my world, world gold in 2010. And they were very proud moments. I bet that they are hung up in a... Well, I don't know. Are they are they locked away in a secure cupboard somewhere, or? I keep meaning to get a display cabinet for them. That locked safely away. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. I can only imagine what looking at that to remember your achievement does to you. That's brilliant. Are they like a a centerpiece? Like when you have new visitors come round, do you get them out to kind of show them off to people, or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I go and do my talks, I often take the medals as well. So. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine having one of those around my neck, <laughs> like, let alone having golds and silvers. Absolutely, absolutely incredible. So thinking about what you've done over, over the years, is there anything that you'd do differently? I think if, if I had my time again, I would make sure that in my time as an athlete, I would make sure that I had another career in place as well. Because as it happens with the motivation of speaking, it's all worked out well. But as I've explained before, there was a period of time after coming off squad well, I really didn't know what to do. So I would definitely make sure I was kept my education and kept my career up alongside my sport. I think that's sound advice for anyone who's an athlete or competing in any kind of professional sport. I think that it can all come to an end with one one injury or yeah. or just you're not on form and and then you're you're suddenly looking for a, for a job and and what to do so so yeah absolutely agree i think that's a, a great idea if you were to do it again to yeah to keep on top of the skills that you're going to need when uh when you finish that particular part of your journey so thinking about being like a, a para-athlete or a motivational speaker is there any groups that you follow or any organisations or any motivational characters that you could point people towards, other than yourself, of course? <laughs> I work closely with Taz Sorensen, and she's a motivational speaker and a, a great inspiration. So anyone that wants a motivational talk, other than myself, I would recommend Taz. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, we've spoken to Taz already on this podcast and she has given you a glowing reference and I spoke to her about you a little bit as well. So so yeah, no, definitely great recommendation about Taz. And 
obviously yourself as well because you are available to to do these motivational talks and come in and inspire people so so yeah fantastic over the course of your journey emma have there been any motivational words of wisdom or or anything that's really helped you to focus or to to get through whether it be through the depression or when you were competing or anything that you could pass on to the listener to help get them through any difficult times one thing i use for people with disabilities is i use a lot don't disability or if you think of the word disabled and take the two D's off and split it, you've got is able. And I use that quite a lot. Love it. Absolutely brilliant. Is abled. I'll, I'll have to remember that for anyone that I come across and uh, when they're feeling a bit low about any, any disability that they're suffering with. But yeah, I love it. Absolutely brilliant. So in addition to that, are there any books or any resources you could point people towards? Any podcasts? Anything that you found helpful over your career? If I was to be really honest, I'm not a biggest reader. Me neither. <laughs> so I read Taz Thornton's book, Unleash Your Awesome, and found that really inspirational. But other than that, uh, I can't really say. You can't recommend anything because you haven't uh, come across anything. That's absolutely fine. Not not a problem. What about anything else? Are there any kind of, some people listen to podcasts or YouTube channels or TV programs. What do you use to keep you motivated and, and keep you, your mind on track? Motivational quotes. So I sort of enjoy, now again, I'll go on the internet and look up some motivational quotes. Have you got any favourites? I can't think of any. That's all right. I'm putting you on the spot a bit there. <laughs> Some people can just reel them off, but um, that's not a problem. I've got a few talks available. So I've got no such word as can't. And no such word as can't detailed my story. A lot of what we've been talking about tonight and proving I thought I'd take people from my journey and growing up with a disability and being an athlete and then I share with people my now what moment of last year and within all that I prove that there's no such word as can't. I also had another talk called From Therapy world champion so that's a bit more of a light-hearted talk where I talk about growing up with a disability and I talk more in there about my career as a dressage rider and the horses that I've had and then any of those can be adapted for talks to young people absolutely amazing so i guess are they all listed on your website yeah yeah fantastic so where could people find your website then what's your social media handle facebook which is easier than motivational speaker and i have twitter that's here down underscore emma and linkedin is easier down 
motivational speaker as well. And then I have my website, which is emmacheedam.com. Absolutely brilliant. So for those people listening, if you want to follow Emma's work or to, to find out where she's going to be speaking near you soon, then I'll link all those those social media platforms in the show notes. So it's dual you'll just be a click away so no need to stop your run or to pull over in the car or write any scribble something down your hand simply go to those show notes and i will include those in there for you thank you for having me my pleasure my absolute pleasure have a fantastic rest of your evening emma and uh, speak to you soon okay thanks Liam. Thanks to Emma once again for sharing her story. What a motivating character and I hope that you've taken loads away from the episode. Now the key takeaways for me are to make a plan. So as Emma said, she went into that career of equestrian dressage and then suddenly it was all taken away from her. But she didn't really have a plan. So what I would say is even if you think you're on the path to doing a job that you love or if you're in your dream job at the moment, fantastic. But have a backup plan, a rough idea about what it is that you can learn or what it is you can do. If it was that you find yourself out of work, technology changing, or you've got to suddenly take a different path. Another key thing for me was having that mental preparation. So Emma talks about how before she would go into a competition, she would mentally prepare herself. And I think that's something that we can all benefit from. Start being less emotional about things and preparing yourself mentally about what could potentially happen, whether that be good and bad. And hopefully that will prepare you a little bit for the situations that may arise. Equally, she talks about training as if it was the real competition. So horses would change in fairly similar conditions to what they'd be actually riding in. If you're thinking about getting into a creative career or if you're trying to hone your skills to be able to find a job where you can do what it is that you love, train as if it is that you're getting paid for that. So even if you're doing a bit of work experience or you're doing a project to show or demonstrate your skills and talents, treat it just as if you'd give it the attention as if you were getting paid for it. I loved Emma's slogan of there's no such thing as can't and I think she's just a perfect example of that. And finally, as we said at the start, don't make excuses. Emma and many of us I'm sure have got some kind of excuse that we could rely on to say, oh that's why I'm not doing that. And for me it's really important that we recognise we are making excuses but thinking about how we're going to achieve what we want to achieve in that bigger picture breaking it down into those smaller parts to make it less scary and so the excuses won't really matter anymore so i hope you enjoyed that episode can't wait to speak to you next week and don't forget think about what you're going to do this week to get work savvy until next week take care and i'll speak to you soon